Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 246. You may hear some noise in the background because I'm outside right now. And there is a thunderstorm going on. So there's some cars and there's rain. And where I'm sitting, I'm allergic to something. So I'm like sneezing like crazy. So I'm going to try not to sneeze into your ears. But hi, Voyagers. I am here in Greenport, New York. Not Greenpoint, Brooklyn, Greenport. If you go all the way east on Long Island, you likely know that the South Fork is the Hamptons and Montauk, but the North Fork ends at, well, Orient Point, but a neighborhood called Greenpoint. And in a way that is similar to the Hamptons, there are a lot of really interesting people out here. There are a lot of artists, a lot of craftsmen, farmers, So I'm trying to book a number of episodes out here, and this is the first one. So I am at the home next to the art studio where I just recorded with an artist named Verona Penalba. I'm not going to tell you too much about her right now because we covered a lot in the episode, but she's a painter. She's from Nicaragua, and her work is really fantastic. So I had a great time coming out here and talking to her and checking out her studio, and checking out the town. I'm actually waiting now because I'm going to record again today in about a half hour. So it's a good day. I'm always happy when I'm recording. All right, in the player, whatever player you're listening to this in, just go to the description for this episode, and there will be a link to Verona's stuff. As always, whenever I have an artist on, I think that you should probably go pull up her website and or her Instagram so that when we reference certain uh, pieces of work that she's done, you can see exactly what we're talking about. I think that's a cool way to kind of enhance the uh, audio experience that you're having. All right. Well, like I said, another one will follow this shortly. But for now, here is my conversation with Verona Penalba. Thank you. This is incredible. Um, we were chatting for a bit before I hit record, and you were like, "Well, how did you hear about me?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm always record. I'm always researching, uh, looking for interesting people. As a kid, I went out to Montauk a lot, and didn't come to the North Fork as much. But like, I'm aware that there's a lot of really interesting people out here, people doing a lot of artwork. So I came across uh, David. Benthal's photography? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, those pictures are so beautiful that oh, he did they're amazing, yeah. <laughs> they are so cool. So They I'm happened here. In this space? Outside in the garden, yeah. Can, can we describe that to people who haven't seen it? I'll show uh, the listeners, but um, can you talk about those pictures? Yes, uh, so David is the photographer. Uh, I guess he's the main photographer of the North Forker, which is a magazine that's distributed in the North Fork here in Long Island. And the main idea was to do a visit of the studio and how the studio informs you as an artist. But he reached out and said, hey, I want to do something. Like, let's do something. Mm. And he's like, Why do, well, how about you paint your face? Because I paint a lot of faces too. And I was like, of course. <laughs> And then that was it. Like, I was like, yes, I love it. That's great. And we didn't really like practice it or anything. He just came the day that he was supposed to be. And um, I have some pigment and we had two ideas. One was pigment, which is what the photo you saw mm. on my face. And then the other one was just acrylic, which was another beautiful idea, which I still want to do. So, but we started with the pigment and it was just like, I grabbed the pigment and throw threw it in my face. First, he set up his his photography area outside, like his camera and like a back cover or whatever. But basically, over there in the garden, 
and I just started throwing pigment on my face and he just started shooting and he was like, there was a point where my hands were like covered in these colors, yeah. blue and pink or like a red pink. And I, I, I felt like in awe, like I, I knew this was a magical moment. And like I, he was maybe saying, so I couldn't even speak because you were in that kind of trance of the moment that I was just like, oh, like my, <laughs> my hands had like life of their own. I know my hands are alive because they're connected, but like they had their own life with the colors. It's the only way I can explain it. So I was looking at my hands moving and it was just so beautiful. And he captured the moment so well. Mm. He's very talented, obviously. Um, it was just a magical moment. I'm so grateful that we could do that. And as you say, it's, it's about the experiences. And it was such a beautiful experience to live in that moment. And I'm going to carry that through, you know, through life. But it's beautiful that there's the photograph to remember, you know. Oh, for sure. It, it, if, it, if it reminds me of anything, it made me think a little bit of David Bowie, like Ziggy Stardust, where he has his face painted. Are you familiar with that? A little bit, yeah, with the, yes. Yeah, with like the zigzag. Yes, yes. Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, so thank you, David, for doing that yeah. because uh, <laughs> that's how I found you. I'm sure maybe a lot of people sort of found you through that way because it's such a cool and unique picture yeah some i i think so yeah it's um it's relative uh i'm kind of relative new to the scene mm. not really in years but yes in uh being out there if I that's see. uh if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no i think so um so you were born in nicaragua yes did you spend your like your whole youth in Nicaragua? Yes, I spent until I was seventeen, until I graduated high school. Oh, okay, yeah. wow! So basically, half of my life now. Can you tell me about the Nicaragua of your youth? Uh, you know, some like prominent memories growing up there. It's uh, I'm, maybe I get emotional, but for me, it's family, it's nature, and it's. Um, Kindness and a lot of heart. That's what Nicaragua is for mm -hmm. me. So I grew up with a big family, both sides, mother and father. They both have a lot of siblings and I have a lot of cousins. So my vacations were always with my aunt and she would take like seven children and like we would go to the lake or to the beach. And it's just filled with memories of family and like, nature so it's kind of like the perfect ingredient i think so is most of your family still there most of it yes okay yes. and your grandfather was like a very notable and like prominent painter yes yes i didn't get to meet him he mm. died before i was born but he uh studied he left nicaragua like very young to study abroad. He went to Italy. He passed through New York. He met my grandma in Italy. Uh, they had two or three children there and then the war came. So they moved back to Nicaragua. Um, he brought, he was probably the first person who went outside to study art before Nicaragua was what they call primitive art. And I do quotes because they say primitive, but it's just the, what the art was back but was naturally there. Right. And then he brought modern art to Nicaragua. Basically like European, right? Yeah, yeah, which is the European influence, you know, and, and that's how art moved back then. It, it was kind of in waves. So the modern art took over and, you know, Picasso and Pollock mm -hmm. and they all started like transforming art. So he was the who transformed art for Nicaragua in that sense. And he founded or at least was in charge of the School of Arts in Nicaragua and um, taught all these young people how, you know, painting. And now all the, all this, all his students are, who are the most famous painters now, even like they're outside of Nicaragua now and stuff. Wow, that's but amazing. But his whole, all his, it's kind of like, for me, he gave his, his knowledge to the next generation, which is something very noble. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why he's he's considered the master of modern art for Nicaragua because he was the teacher. He was the one who 
who taught everyone, and the school has his name. So now the School of Arts in Nicaragua has his name, which is very honorable, you know, in my in my view. I didn't get to meet him, which is like, ah, I wish he taught me too, you yeah. know? But he taught me through living, you know, through visiting my grandma and seeing his paintings and through having his paintings everywhere, uh, in my house, in my dad's house. So it's kind of like you learn through visual, like through seeing, I think, somehow. See, like you have a lot of portraits that you do. Did, did he have a specific subject that he focused on? He did portraits. Oh, amazing. Uh, I think that's why I, because I was surrounded by so many portraits. For me, it was natural to go in that direction. And before, before now, let's say, I, I, I focused myself on portraiture for a long time. I, I went back to Nicaragua a few times in my, my adulthood to live there. It's kind of a long story, but I went back and forth and I did a lot of portraits commissions. So I would paint people, which is what he did on the side. He would, because he had nine children. So he had the school, but he also painted uh, portraits for us, you know, more income. Mm. So you go to people's, some people's houses and you'll see, uh, oh, this is my grandma and was painted by my grandpa. You know, it's kind oh, of like so that cool. small. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, it's just like in my mom's house, her painting, my grandma's painting, everyone had a portrait because he was so, pro he was doing so much. He did a painting of everyone in his family. So in my houses, it's like portraits of everyone. And I think by growing, seeing that, that was kind of like the natural for me. Yeah. So it's that um, kind of like love affair for people and, you know, having a portrait of them. I think it just ingrained it in me. What is your grandfather's name? Rodrigo Peñalba. So yeah. if someone were to put that in Google or something, they would be able to find his work? And Not so much, ah. unfortunately. You'll find a Wikipedia of him. I think that should be one of my projects. Um, there's a video of him in Spanish, though, like... Uh, it's not a documentary, but it's just like a special article on video uh, news did for him when he tells a little bit about his story and his work, but not on images. There's not much. There's books about him, but I the see. Internet came. Yeah, it's too late for his, um, I guess, to document all his work. I see. But I can share with you. Cool. If you were curious. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so I'm actually... Also curious about what we put in air quotes, like the primitive, I guess, like indigenous art in Nicaragua, because yes. I think nowadays people are sort of like reawakening to the forces of um, like hegemony and power in the world. And there's been like a, re uh, a refocusing on things that are traditional to give them the love that they should have received all this time. Uh, what does traditional Nicaraguan art look like? Is there, are there common themes or, or, or styles? It's, it's very colorful. Mm. Um, it is based on the landscape and way of living. So, you know, they, they, they paint what they see. So mountains and the little towns and the little river and the volcanoes. We have a lot of volcanoes. So there's a lot of like representation of your life uh, kind of painting. Uh. Um, the thing with, with that type of art is that if you go to the area where it's more prominent, it's in, I, I don't think that as much now, but you could see that the artists, they were all doing very similar I see. So uh, it's kind of like everyone doing kind of the same th thing. As for now, people have the freedom to express their own self because you know there's infinite ways of expressing yourself and, and infinite ways of using materials and things. As is for before, even in European art, like here comes the, I don't know, the Impressionism. Right. And they all kind of... There's a lot of artists kind of like look the same and you're like, wait, is this this or that one? Because they all have the same wave. And then slowly everyone went and had their own style. Like, And Pollock comes to mind. I don't know if because we're in Long Island, but it's like he went and did something like nobody was doing. But it's his own way. Right. And then giving us permission to be like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's kind of when you go and see that art in Nicaragua, 
you could meet five different artists and they all have the same style, the same way. And it's beautiful in the sense that it's a tradition, but it's all, I'm also intrigued of what if that person had the opportunity to discover other mediums and express their own self in a different way? Mm. What could he do? I bet you he'd come out with something fantastic as well. Not taking apart the traditional part. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. So then when you were growing up, that scene there, and I guess that transition to incorporate other forms and more modern forms, uh, that was still developing. Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. Can I, I don't want to focus on this, but can I ask you about like 1980s political landscape? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, How aware were you of like what had happened and what was happening in Nicaragua and like largely facilitated by the United States um, in the 80s? I think I, as a, I, was, I was born in 85. So I, I wasn't, I was very small and I wasn't that aware. Like it, it wasn't something that I um, processed directly, at least not consciously, you know, maybe unconsciously I received it in uh, some way or another um it's like little things like the like the the toilet paper there was only one type of toilet paper and it was pink and very rough mm. you know so there's some little things of the everyday life that you you see them as normal because it's the only life you know especially as a three four year old like there's not much you can uh, process but the the way of those little things kind of like form you. And then I do remember in the 1991, 1990s, when there was the transition to the new president. And I remember that more distinctly, I think because I was older and how the new president who was a woman, one of the first women president in the world, she um, grabbed all the guns and burned them and how she forgave the debt with the United States. All this talk was like very like, what's going on? Like it felt like a big thing was happening. And it was like this whole war was ending. And that felt more as a transition. Mm. And as we moved to the 90s, and I was growing up, you could see a change in the whole, like how before it was just closed. Now we were open to the world and globalization started to be a world world you know and tv now we had tv with american tv and channels and like uh also mexican and other influences from outside of nicaragua and you started like seeing new brands come in you know now doritos was in the supermarket you know like it's like changes that it's like also influencing you very strongly so it's quite like uh i think the 90s uh, affected me more the 80s I, I guess I was sheltered as a kid. I guess I was a very small, small and I was yeah. in a house. I was probably privileged to have a house and not the war not affect me directly, but it did affect a lot of people. Um, a lot of people died. Fortunately, in my family, nobody died, but a lot of young people died because they all went to war. So they, you have, I have friends and stuff where their their father died or or a uncle died, very young people. They were young back then, so maybe they didn't have their own family, but they, the, their extension of their family did suffer it directly. Did art transition to be political and sort of reflect the either the war of the 80s or the changing times in the 90s? Um, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know. I think the music definitely, mm. the culture uh, through the 80s was... Um, the Sandinistas is the term that they it's it's used back then and now it's different. It's it's changed and morphed into something worse now. I don't know if worse than the eighties, but definitely bad. Um, and the the whole culture was very like around that that sense of Sandinistas. So, in support of Sandinistas. In support of yeah, yeah I think. it's it's like it is now like where they control the media and they control what is popular and what you put out there Mm. so I would say 
it was more influenced by that. The art, I'm not, I don't, I cannot remember. I was too small to know what was happening in that sense. I see. This will be like sort of my last point on it, and this will be like <laughs> a long point, but um, a very like condensed version of the United States involvement in Nicaragua is essentially during the Reagan administration, the United States was funding counter-revolutionary forces. Um, the United States put a lot of pressure on the World Bank to not give loans to Nicaragua. The United States put sanctions on Nicaragua. Um, it came out in the Iran-Contra affair that the United States was using like Colombian cartel drug money to fund the Contras. So incredibly messy situation uh, at best. But it, in my travels, I, I taught history. So oh, nice. not that I'm some expert on all of it, but I've been to many places around the world where the United States was involved in something that really wasn't good. So I went to what people like informally call the American War Crimes Museum in Vietnam. And there are, it's, it's really heavy. Like there are images of people who um, went through radiation poisoning from Agent Orange and it's, it's, it's horrifying to see. Or I had a guest on who I asked a similar question that I'm about to ask of you, who represents Laos. They're called Legacies of War. And the United States dropped a lot of bombs there. So I know that I wasn't directly involved in those things, but I sort of feel the weight of the culture that I represent when I'm in those places. I'm an American. Yes. I'm a, a like privileged looking and like... Um, what is it? I'm from like the, the dominant looking culture. Like you feel you represent your country. Yeah, exactly. And more often than not in these places I go, people are like so kind to me and aren't judgmental. And you had written something on social media around like July 4th one year yeah. about coming to the States. And I thought that was really beautiful. And I thought, I just wanted to ask you sort of balancing coming from Nicaragua, which was impacted by the United States. And, and we now see through like, history that these things have long-lasting effects. Um, but now being an American, living in the United States, sort of like balancing those two worlds, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, first, thank you for being so uh, empathic and like so sensitive to other countries' issues. I think that just says that you're a, you know, you have a big heart. <laughs> um I don't, I don't, I don't think people are responsible of their government's decisions. And sometimes governments all around the world take decisions, not counting the people's desires or the, or, or their own people's priorities, mm. neither the other countries, in this case, the United States, uh, the other countries priorities. I think every country has a perspective of what's happening and then they take the decision upon their own perspective. So if the United States did something for uh, uh, against uh, the, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, it's because in their perspective, communism was no good and the whole story, but it's a very political thing. And I don't, uh, at least personally, I don't have anything against American people, because they 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 had no saying mm. in what was happening. I bet you they were not even informed of the total of what was happening. Only twenty years later, yeah. <laughs> you know of all the facts. Yeah. And I'm sure Nicaraguan people didn't really either. Although they would they would say um, it's a, a, a lot of education. I think if you go to Nicaragua now and you go in the it's still the president that was in the 80s. I don't know if you know this. No. The president that it's now, it's the president that was in the 80s. Wow. And he's, so he's, he's done horrible things right now. I know. He's in, oppressing in the people. history is really bad. So, um, and now you, you have people in Nicaragua that want to take this guy out again. He somehow came to power again, but they want to kick, you know, take him out of his dictatorship and they want USA help. Yeah. You, we want the USA to put sanctions. You want him. We want international help. So it's a very, very delicate subject because sometimes you need the help, but to what extent? And to what extent United States have to help us? 
you have I, I always and I, when I, I, I do some of um, I don't want to say political but like I do some pieces that have some activism in them regarding Nicaragua the liberators right the liberators yeah it's, you can see it there yeah um, this it's in one sense of me, it's saying to people, it's it's not anyone else's problem that our problem. Because a lot of people say, come help us, international uh, community, we need help. You know how many countries need help, like for real? So we, it's our own problem and we mm. need to fix it. But I do understand how it's like, can you please throw us a lifesaver? You're big, you're powerful. Can you please help us out the best way you can? And it's, so you, it's like, oh, but wait, they, they did it wrong 30 years ago, you know? Right. They, there's no wrong or right. The government wasn't right either. So just as a, maybe you, as a permission to you of let go of the guilt, because it's not your guilt. It's not, nobody's, nobody's in fault of what happened. It, it just happened. I think the governments have a lot to do and the political desires and power and all that, but that's very complex and it's not a, a, any American's, you know, issue, I think. Well, I, I appreciate you um, entertaining that question <laughs> so thoughtfully, so thank you. Uh, I'll go back to your story. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious about places that you lived and worked uh, around the world, I believe, from yeah. my research. Was Italy the first place? Uh, well, just after Nicaragua, I lived in Costa Rica five years. So oh. that's like next to Nicaragua. But it's very similar in many ways, but it's very different in many ways. Were you like studying? I studied university there because I had an aunt there and it was kind of convenient. It was an opportunity. And I was like, okay, let's go. Oh. And it's it's a beautiful country. It's different in the way that uh, most people are very educated. There mm. is a middle class, not as in Nicaragua. There's mainly no middle class. Very, uh, Most of the country is very poor. Uh, in Costa Rica, you find more educated people. The tourism industry is the main industry. So it's a whole different mentality around everything. They've hadn't had all the political issues and history that Nicaragua has. They haven't had the the, nation, uh, the natural disaster that Nicaragua. It's just like totally different and we're next to each other. Yeah. So it was a beautiful experience. Then Italy was the next and it was my desire to, my grandma is Italian, one of them. And I wanted to speak Italian. I wanted to learn Italian. Oh, cool. My main. And I wanted to somehow learn art because at this point I only had painted as a, as a you know hobby, let's say, but okay. I study marketing. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like painting and painting. I'm like, okay, I should go to Italy, find some way to learn how to learn something about painting, and then learn Italian. So I did that. <laughs> you know, I'm curious because so many. I talk to a lot of artists or crafts people, uh, people who make things with their hands, and more often than not, they have someone in their family. Like you mentioned, your grandfather was, uh, was an incredible painter. You talk about like studying and learning. How much do you think can be learned? And like, how much do you think is like sort of like an innate talent that may be sort of passed on through like genetics? Oh, it's a big question. I think you can be thought on technique and you can be thought on ways to use materials. Uh, you can be thought of mainly that. <laughs> so, mm. for example, in Italy, I, 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 the, what I could afford and what my time, because I was working and then on the weekends I was, I was going to these classes. So it was every Saturday in the afternoon I was going to classes. So I did figure drawing and oil painting. And it's just techniques of how to use materials the most efficient way, if that mm. makes sense. Is that the right way to do it? No. Is that the only way? Definitely not. Um, and how much it comes natural, I think we all have the power to be creative and, and create things. And, and I think you choose your way. So through my life and my life experiences, I chose painting, but also painting chose me, kind of mm. way. Um, 
But for example, portraiture kind of was influenced in me, as you say, passed on. But now I'm after 10, almost 15 years, I'm going through more through abstract. But that's kind of my own way of directing my life, my own way of expressing myself. So I think I didn't go to art school, you know, as a lot of people do. And I know a lot of people say it's not really worth it and stuff. But I actually, I, me that didn't go, I sometimes say, wow, it would have been nice to hear a, a teacher's perspective, a way of being. But it's also, I think it's also the part of me that loves people and wants to hear. It's kind of like, kind of what you do. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear their perspective. And I think I have the power of not assimilating their own, because I think that's the problem in art school where the teachers try to like, this is the way and the students don't find their own voice because they are just copying or whatever. Yeah, I've always thought, I, every time I, I talk to an artist, I always think that if some, I know that there, there is technique, but when I think of artists across mediums, so even like authors, photographers, yeah, um, often they're doing something that's so radically different that probably a teacher would be like, what the hell is this? Like you mentioned Jackson Pollock. Someone might have said like, what, did you dump a can of paint on this canvas? What did you do here, right? But it was revolutionary and it, it led to great change. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think... And I don't that, know. Yeah, that I don't, could affect someone a lot. Like if, if I was in, in class and I did something crazy or revolutionary to me and the teacher says, this is trash, it, it probably affected a lot of people, you yeah. know, and, and maybe I maybe it was meant to be. I didn't go to class because I'm very sensitive and I wouldn't have taken bad criticism good, you know, and, and I don't know if there's a way, but uh, definitely just creating is the, it's the way. Mm. Um, after Italy, did you go to the Dominican Republic? Oh, uh, so yeah, after Italy came, it started a process of, um, I parallel was always painting, but I, oh, I did have, I didn't know I wanted to be a painter full time yet. So I did have a job for like the next years that moved me around. And then I left that job and dedicated myself to painting, but also moved around. So I, with this job, I worked in Miami, Dominican Republic, and then back to Miami, and then Nicaragua for something else. And then I left it, my all, all everything, and I started working in a place where I only worked for like a month, and then I had a month off. This was in the BVI's. Mm. It's an amazing island uh owned by Richard Branson. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar by him. So it came an opportunity to work in that island. And I was like, of course, I, of course I'm going to work for, for this island. So I worked there for, I will work for there for a month and have a month off. And that in my month off, I will be in the Dominican Republic and paint and then go back and work. That's amazing. On and off. Yeah, it was amazing. It was great. It was a great experience. I got to meet a lot of amazing people people and they would host host these events with authors and like people that in the moment I didn't know who they were and then I would google them and it was like it's just because their presence and what they're saying will resonate so much to me there was like I need to know who this person is like this is my what do you mean you were working with authors in no in the sense that uh, they would bring authors or um invent like just oh, people the they island. would be pre they would be people from all industries to the island for uh, summits or presentations or kiteboarding events, yeah, different okay. events they will put out. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be listening to the talk sometimes because I was there working. I would be a guest service person. So yeah. if you want a tea or like a drink or whatever, I was just there to make sure everyone was happy. Um, and I would, I would get this to hear all they had to say and it was great and that way I discovered people and it was beautiful yeah I'm not comparing my skills to yours at all <laughs> I want to preface that but uh, I do a little bit of freelance writing I'm trying to do it a lot more and I remember the first time it got picked up like oh we're going to pay you for this article I'm just like so excited like oh my god someone's going to pay me for my words or even very early on in the podcast I just had my friends on because who did I know and who's going to come on and I had read a book, um, 
called Eating Vietnam uh, by this guy, Graham Holiday. And he was friends with Anthony Bourdain, who I like idolized. And when I reached out to him, he's like, sure, I'll come on the podcast. To me, that's like, uh, my mind just explodes. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a turning point or do you remember like the first piece you sold where you're like, oh my God, I can actually turn this into something where I'm doing this as a career. I'm not also working uh, with at Richard Branson's Island. I can sustain myself as a painter. Yes. Uh, there were very, there were a few kind of sporadic and it was kind of like looking back, I'm like, maybe I didn't believe it yet. Mm. Because, for example, in Costa Rica, I was still in, in, in the university and I was painting and this friend commissioned me a painting that was a huge painting. And he he paid me uh, like what I asked for, which in that moment was more than what I have sold even years after. So that was a big moment for me. But I think I didn't believe it yet. You know, I, I didn't believe that could be a possibility. Yeah. And it's funny how sometimes life throws you little stones. It's like, you can do it, but you're like, I'm not ready yet, you know. Um, and then in Nicaragua, uh, so no long after, another one, another commission. Uh, the, that was my first paid uh, portrait. Someone wanted me to paint their portrait. And I was like, wow, that's such a... I've, I In that moment, I, I felt that it was such a privilege. Like, wow, I... They're paying me for it. It was so, like an honor for me, you know, mm. like this is so honorific to me, paint them. But I, I still didn't really believe it. You know what I mean? Like I still was uh, working in my normal job and I still was just, you know, they being playing it slow. One of the turning points was in the DR when I had decided I wanted to paint full time. And I was uh, doing these portraits uh paintings of women, many Afro women. I don't know, it was maybe the Dominican influence. And uh, me and my now husband will go surfing in the morning. And I'm not a good surfer. I would just play in the white water. And I put one of the paintings for sale, like on Facebook, back when Facebook was not so scary. <laughs> and one of one of my contacts in DR said, I want to buy it. And I was like, so happy. It was, I think it, the price was like $50. But for me, that was like what I needed. And I kid you not, I rode two waves. Like I never ride the wave, but that day I was so euphoric and so happy that my art was like recognized and someone wanted to buy it that I rode a wave. I was like, <laughs> I'm on top of the world. And, and that, then I was ready. Like that third time that, I, it wasn't the third time I sold, but it was like the, at least I remember that time very specific because I had already decided that I wanted to give art, a, just just art to try. Yeah. And the the that first person, as you say, that first person that does that that gesture, like that purchasing or that recognition, because it's not about the money really. Like fifty dollars, I barely I could pay for my materials maybe, but is there recognition that they liked what you did and they want it for themselves? It's such a Oh my God, so happy. I rode a wave. I, I'd never ride them again. I, like, I'm not good at surfing. <laughs> so happy that yes, it's, it, I remember that time. And it's always, I, that feeling almost doesn't never go away when someone purchases a piece because it's, it's so fantastic to me because it's such, such a personal thing to do a painting. Like I'm, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this very personal, energetic thing with the painting, and then someone else feels something. It's like, I, it's like we're connected in some way, and now there's there's a connection that will last forever because they have that painting for the rest of their life. There's something that I think is really cool about portraiture, also, and I'll relate it to this. I love used bookstores, and sometimes used bookstores will have things other than books. Actually, often they do. But sometimes they'll have like a basket or something like that with old black and white photos that were recovered at a garage sale or whatever when people pass. And they're like, what, 50 cents a photo or something like that. Um, and I keep these little like journal books when I travel. And I like those and I like to put them in the journal books because I don't know these people, but you can kind of create a story off of just this one image of what you see. So I think that like buying 
a portrait's so interesting because like there's this room is covered in portraits and other than like I know who Frida Kahlo is obviously but there are women up here I have no idea who they are but if you purchase it now it's like you could even lie to somebody and say this is who this is like it's it's cool to make a story yeah well it's funny you say it so I wish I had them on hand but I am I'm in love with coming to Northern Island yeah I didn't know this before. I didn't know people had these black and white photos. <laughs> like, so I, I'm kind of obsessed. I'm trying to keep it more, uh, uh, you know, tame it a little bit. I'm obsessed with all photos, the ones you're mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I would go to these yard sales and tag sales where you don't know what happened to the people. I'm very curious. I want to know what happened, but most often than not, it's kind of sad stories where the persons have passed away and there's no one that wants the things. And you would find a box of these magnificent photos of these person's lives. And you're like, what's going to happen now? Who, where are these memories going? And for me, they hold so much energy, so much memory. So I started collecting them. I have a whole box of, of old photos. You can see that those ones there. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're painted. So I started painting them, the old photos. That, that little kid and I, I I have them on the other side my friend has a studio next door she's a ceramic uh, artist so I put them away just to have more space for us but I can show you I printed them on canvas so I don't have to paint on the photo and I'm, I'm gonna paint them uh, like the Frida ones that's so cool yeah but I I am fast I, I just there's so much magic that it's on those photos because they are telling some type of story and I don't know what it is but it just that not knowing is so beautiful I don't I don't know I don't mean to sound crazy to some people this might sound crazy but again big thought I have a neighbor in my building named Peter Peter's been on this podcast he's never going to hear this <laughs> uh, he's very eccentric like very eccentric he's from Hungary um, I don't think he's ever actually had like a real job he, he like sells scrap metal and his apartment is insane. He knocked out the walls and the ceiling and it's just full of stuff that he hoards. It's wild. Like yeah. this guy needs a documentary. Yeah. He has advanced cancer right now and he has like no family at all, at all. And I, this is going to sound horribly morbid, but I think like if he passes, what memory remains of him? So like when you're talking about those photos, that is likely the last thing that exists from those people. Like, is there some type of, I don't know, energy? Like, is memory a thing that, like, exists only in that photo that's still left? It's weird. I don't know. I think, I think it's giving me shields. And I probably photographers have a better language to say this. Mm. I love photography. I'm not really, I, I take photos sometimes, but I'm not really, no. But, like, they're all black and white picture photos here. That's why I was like very intrigued when you started talking about them. Um, but I do think photographs, don't you ha doesn't it happen to you that you look at a photograph of yourself when you were a child and you kind of remember that moment? Mm -hmm. Like that, do you know that, that movie Butterfly Effect? Yeah, oh yeah. It's kind of like that, like you are transported to that moment. So I think somehow they hold some type of energy that it's it's just that moment. And it, that's why photography is so magical. Mm. Um and now it's kind of like it's kind of like weird because now it's like a thousand million photographs online that we scroll all day, and it kind of loses that magic because we're like so like saturated by them. Yeah, yeah. But those printed photos That's from so the 1950s, it's funny because I have I, I'm getting a lot of goosebumps, but I have a whole box of these photos. And when you see the people and the moments they're going through, and it, some of them are very candid, some of them are posed like, okay, this is the grandma photo or whatever. But some of them are very candid, like in the backyard, this kid just sitting. And I'm like, this is like the Instagram of their time. Like for, for people to have a, a photo in that, in that era, it was like, kind of like only few people, you know, and they have these photos. I'll show you later the canvas I printed so you have an idea. But they have the date. A lot of them write the little date, like 1934. And it's these three kids in their bathing suit. What's different from that then now? No, just like the fashion. But the kids are the, the same spirits. You know what I mean? And it's just, there's so much, so much to unfold from these photographs. I don't have the language yet. No, I, I understand have, what you're saying. I just have the feeling in me, you know? You know what's really interesting? I haven't talked to you about this yet. <laughs> I'll break the fourth wall. So I have, um, 
there's a second one here somewhere. I have these two disposable cameras behind me. Yes. I'm working on a project that I've talked about, but I'm also, I've been taking pictures of my guests. So hopefully if you're okay with that, I'll take a picture yes. of you when we're done. And I brought a black and white one. And the reason I'm using these, they're actually quite expensive now. Like some of them are upwards of like 30 to $50 online because they don't manufacture them anymore. But for that very same reason you mentioned with like Instagram, there's zero magic left. And I see this while I'm traveling all the time where it's an influencer or something, whatever. But people will like plan outfits and plan like a whole day around one specific location, not experiencing the location, just doing 50 shots of different poses (laughs) to get the best picture for Instagram. And there's something so sad about that to me. But this, I can't even see what the picture looks like. (laughs) Like people forget about what that is. Uh, This is film people. So yeah, there is something incredibly magic magical about that even the ones that get kind of fucked up like sometimes these this film's already probably overexposed it's so old but it'll have like the little cigarette burns on it or it'll be um kind of grainy but i love that because yes. it was the only chance you had to take that picture so yeah because the, and then the first big that's it that's that is one and go and you close your eyes that's it and i don't know it's like some so so magical the the whole the Instagram and planning the off and all that it's 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 something new, and I think we'll see how it develops. But I'm intrigued by it because it's it's it it came natural to those people. And the sense like I have my niece; she's 18. She came to visit me for a few days, and she was taking photos. You know, and she was like wanted to look cute. So when we went to a block, she could take a photo. And it's somehow is their way of communicating. Somehow is their way of the only way they know or the way they're being thought to communicate. Mm. So it's 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 a very like strange for us that may I didn't grow up necessarily like that. I, I'm 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 amazed, but I'm also like just watching. Mm. Just like curious of what's gonna happen with this generation, how is it gonna evolve? You know, podcast kind of kind of new in the sense of you know it's kind of like radio, but yeah. also a new uh, media. I love it. I think it's great. I love listening to people. Uh, it's a other way of communicating. So I think us as humans, we're very creative and we find many ways to communicate. So I'm just curious of how this generation will transform that, where it's very visual, it's very instant, it's very mm. gratifying by the moment. It, it could also be very damaging to your deep feelings sometimes if you don't manage it very well. So I don't know how that's going to go, but hopefully us showing all photos <laughs> will, like, I don't know, make them feel the nostalgia of, I don't know, those type of photos. <laughs> no, no, I, I get it. All right, speaking about creativity. So again, I am so lucky that I get to be in so many cool places doing this podcast. And it's always like very inspiring to me. For I read this book. I've talked about this before. It's a very popular book. But Stephen King, the author, wrote a book about the writing process. And in it, he talks about like the desk he always had to sit at to write. And I don't know why, but I love like artist desks. I have this tiny, tiny apartment and there's no space for one. I keep telling my girlfriend, like, the second we get a bigger place, I want this desk desk. for all my stuff. (laughs) And I don't know, for me, like, it helps facilitate the creative process. Um, There is an artist, I'll be hypocritical and mention her Instagram because I forget her name, but her Instagram name I think is Pretty Green Bullet. She's an artist in Kuwait. And her home is just like these giant canvases of her art. And I'm just like, ah, it's amazing. Um, this space is so cool. I'm wondering, are you most creative here? Do you have a certain routine or location where you create your art or like, is your brain always firing with ideas? Uh, all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it, this is the space now I have to create. I would have to say for anybody that doesn't have a space before I had this space, it was in my house. And my my dining table will be my art space, my my where I worked. And at time for dinner, I'll clean it all up and then put it back again for the night. So I, I've been always very like adaptive to whatever I have. Now that I have this space, 
I, I love it and I use it in different ways. So this table you have in front of you, it's kind of new because I had this small desk behind us, but I found it was too small mm. because I like when I'm painting on photos like these ones here, uh, I like to paint them, a lot of them at the same time. So I grab a color and I apply it to the photos as I go. So I need larger space for me to do it. But then I take a break from that and I'll grab this abstract, which is not finished. And I will, right now, this one is being, all being painted outside. So because of uh. the weather, it's, it's the weather also informs of where you paint, at least when you're in a non-insulated studio. So I bring the painting outside, I lay it on the grass and I paint outside. So I do a layer and I let it dry. And I also been painting these small ones outside. And then I take a break and I, I these Frida's and the ones I'm gonna do of the old photos are gonna be with oil, which is a different medium. So I'm gonna be, I, I do a color on that and I kind of jump on the different things I'm working on. Uh, and that keeps me kind of like excited because I, I let the piece breathe. For example, I see this painting and it's supposed to be horizontal, so I have to move it around. But I'll look at it and I'll be like, okay, now I need this. And I need that time to think. So I'll be doing these paintings. We don't, don't need that much thinking. It's more like improvisation. It's more like the feeling. So I'll just do a little bit of that. And then I do the, the oil and I jump around. But the, what you're talking about, the desk, it's true. Yeah. I, I love this desk. <laughs> and this is just like a folding table that I, I'm working on. But it's like, okay, I have my my acrylics and I have my cyanotypes, which I was doing the other day that was sunny. Oh, cool. So I, I do the cyanotypes, let them dry. Then I paint. Then when they're ready, I put them in the sun. So it's like jumping from one little project to the other, but always like, just like, okay, what can I do now? What I have time now? For example, these foams, you see these? They're from like a trash cleanup organized by a friend here in um, Greenport Gazette here in the North Fork. And these foams were found last year and I only got to this year to play with them. I've been like, in my head, I'm going to sculpt them into clouds. They're from like buoys or something, right? Like from the ocean? They were a huge piece, like a meter and a half and uh. I cut them in three pieces there's one extra that was separate that I think was a buoy but this was probably a piece of a boat or something I don't know what it was but it was found on the beach it's like a yeah. big piece of trash and I cut them for me to cut them in three was like a whole two hours I'm like exhausted sweating and so I don't know if I'm going to be able to sculpt them I'm, I'm finding ways but I'm like doing that for a little bit so I'm just jumping from like project to project cool. but I do love this chair because this is kind of like okay you know put my hands on it and be like what's next <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are facing the road and I read online that you do an open studio where people can just kind of walk up and yes. I was curious if you've had any like particularly interesting interactions that way uh the last one that comes to mind, which was a little awkward, is that I was here. I I I was here not on an I say official open studio when I put it on my website and right. I, and I let people know that I'm here. So people that want to come come. This was an unofficial open. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I came with my daughter. She wanted to do slime. I was telling you she has a little area here with her paintings and her colors and stuff and we've been doing slime lately so she wanted to do slime so we came to the studio and do slime and I thought let me open the studio and put it aside just in case someone's like in my head nobody will what's gonna come because I never I didn't put it out there you know yeah but I put the sign out <laughs> and uh, and Rainer Gross which she's an artist feature in the North Forker the same month as me happened to be driving by and he wanted to say hello. He came in and uh, I wish I had time to speak with him because he's a very interesting person. He's from Germany and he was telling me of how he met a Nicaraguan artist who's like passed away now, but how in the 70s he met him in a dinner. He was telling me all these crazy stories from the 70s and my daughter freaked out because oh. we I interrupted our session and I don't know how old five-year-olds are, but she's very like, we're doing something. You said we were doing something and we were not doing something. So I freak out. So she was like interrupting me, freaking out. The poor guy had to leave. I was like, I'm oh. sorry, my daughter, she needs my attention. <laughs> and he left. But uh, it's more like that where 
some and sometimes someone will come in and she's the star. She's like, here are my paintings. This is five dollars. This one's seventy. This one. she puts prices like seven hundred dollars, crazy prices. And she sells her little artwork there, and she loves people too. So it really like it was an off day for her in that sense because she she will normally be very like welcoming of people and wanna talk. Uh, but yes, that was a little awkward because I. I'm sorry, Rainer. <laughs> <laughs> do you try to teach her at all, or do you just put something in front of her and just say, go create? Yeah, I just let her go. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I don't, there, there's not really anything I could teach her. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I love what she does. I like, I'm amazed at some things she does uh, spontaneous. I, when I'm doing abstract, that's what I'm aiming to let that energy just flow through me with any conditioning any social conditioning any cultural conditioning nothing that will be my goal You're like a blank mind kind of kind of wow that would be i would i would want to just be a channel of 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 spirit and i'm saying spirit in a very broad way but i want to be a channel of whatever energy wants to come through me and I think kids have that power. That's why they just like do a big, you know, scramble or whatever. And like that that one with the sun and the yellow, I think she just she just was she just was expressing herself, you know? I'm gonna ask you this because I've asked a bunch of artists this and sometimes it's similar answers. But a lot of people have talked to me about it's like called like being a conduit, right? Like yes. you said, channeling a spirit. What is that creative energy is that is that a thing like are you like a radio receiver that you are the talent and you're being or is it coming from your brain like what is that thing you're channeling i think it, it depends on what you're doing for example if i'm doing a portrait of someone i have to use my head mm. in the sense that i have to look at the person and try to make it the same at least that's the way i condition myself again that's how i thought myself to do it but I think it is a thing, and you probably has had gone through it when you're recording. Like right now in this moment, we're just being in the moment, and that we're channeling something. Mm. Uh, it, I think it's different degrees. Or when you were writing that article that someone purchased, you were you were channeling an idea, you were channeling an emotion, you were channeling something that was coming through you. And I don't know if it happens to you, but to me, it's like I am just being and some idea comes to my mind and some some of them are very crazy i can share some of them but it's like is that my mind telling me this or is it something else that's trying to give me information and i need to do it so it, it manifests do you ever think of what that something else is uh i like to think that it's kind of like just Everything, <laughs> just like, I don't know, like, uh, what's the, there's no words for it, I think. I think the words that we've put as humans have been, like, given too much. Um, they've given too much specific categorization yeah. where cannot be, resonate to everyone the same way. I see. So I don't like to say... It is this or is that because it's not the same as those words, but it's 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 everything. It's 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 what unites us all. I think it's love. I commonly like to call it the universe. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the 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 energy that flows through everything. So it flows through all of us. It it flows through those photos. And it's just like, what energy are we? It's, a lot of authors talk about it. It's kind of like, it's it's kind of flowing. And then whatever it's channeled through you is what you are going to express. Does it mean that what channeled through you is different than what channeled through me? What does that mean? Like, it just means that that's what you were open to canalize, you know, to to channel. So am I, I'm like, okay, what am, I, what am I channeling today? And lately it's something I've been more thinking about it. I think before I used to just, I would be like, okay, let me create this Afro painting, for example, this portrait. And once I'm painting, I would come into it. Mm. Like, it would just come and it would let flow. And at the end, like that painting over there, I would be like, wow, what is it? How did I do it? Like, it's amazing. And I will be amazed by my own. Wow. 
because it's like so beautiful because I was there in that moment. But now I'm more like I, I kind of I'm more conscious about it and I'm I'm trying to be more like okay, so what what can what I wanna what do I want to express or what am I it's kind of like a question, like I'm open right now. What do you what do you or what else, what does it want me to channel, transmit? And the message I'm getting lately is that the sense of the sense of possibilities, the sense of flow, the sense of like peace. It's a lot of like how you would think the Holy Spirit is in the sense of like the knowing that everything it's it's going the right way and mm. the knowing that there's a way for life and for nature and for the cycle of nature, even if it's life or death. So it's it's a lot of things very like, deep, but I'm uh, that's where I'm going right now with my abstract. That's where I want to direct my work to do because I feel it's very powerful to me. And I hope it can, re- it can, someone can relate to it along the way. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, you do portraiture, and I'm wondering, I'm thinking of like two things. It, someone from history maybe who's not alive, and then maybe someone alive today, that you would love to do a portrait of. Oh, I never thought of that. Huh. That's a very interesting question. I know sometimes when I'm doing this, I'm like, man, I should have told someone this question in advance. Cause like for me, if someone's like, what's like the best, the best country to visit? I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like uh, they're all, they're all amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a, uh, uh, an, an answer to that. One thing I loved about doing portraits is that everyone, everyone is important. So there's no one person more important than another in that sense. Like I don't have someone in a pedestal kind of mm. thing to do the portrait of. It's more like who needs it in the moment. A lot of my clients, in mostly it was Nicaragua, and I still get commissions from there. It's I would always back then it was my my feeling was that I am painting your essence. I'm a, I'm painting a part of you that's coming through to me, and we're and I I'm connecting to you and. I, uh, sometimes I will feel that a part of me was in them and a part of them was in me. And I would try to give that feeling in the painting mm. and, and that beauty that I could see. Like I could see the beauty of people. And sometimes some people are going through ups and downs and they don't see their own value. They don't see their own beauty. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so the painting of a women, mostly women want to do it. Um, but it's kind of like remembering that you're beautiful, you're valuable. And I, I love that when women will hang their portrait in their living room or in their house and they will love it and they love it and they see it. I'm like, I not, not always say it, but I'm so happy that they get that chance to see themselves in that view of your value, you're beautiful, you're important, you know, and that's that's what I I loved about doing portraits, that connection with everyone. So I don't have that, like, at least not on top of my head, someone like, oh, I loved, you know, the Dalai Lama. <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's a beautiful answer. Um, have, you ever made, have you ever completed a piece that was, like, hard to sell that you felt, like, attached to, I guess? Uh, that one over there, <laughs> Connection, the painting. Oh, cool. Uh, it's been hard to sell as this as nobody has bought it yet. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I'm also like I also I always have this insight. Um, I'm always having this insight explanation of why the world works like and like my own ways of thinking. And I think maybe it's because I want it for myself that yeah, I'm yeah. selling it, and I love it so much that I want it for me. So I'm not attracting the buyer for it you know what i mean so uh this is one recent in the sense it's two years old and i love i love it so much that it's not being sold but all, part of me is like it's fine it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> i yeah. love it so much i wanted to keep it for me it represents a that one is a magical like that one was uh i want it just came to me like i want a painting of people kissing a kiss i just want a kiss i want i want that connection of that kiss 
and I did the figure. I was experimenting with inks, which is a medium that I was new with. I'm always trying to learn about new mediums. I was learning about inks and I played with the inks and it was just so magical the way it came to be, the way, and you can see it, at least for me, when you see it, it just brings you to a feeling. So yeah, that would be that one for now, I guess. Amazing. Well, we've we've hit an hour, so okay, I should probably start wrapping. Um, why don't you also, uh, I guess, maybe plug your website and stuff like that, but also maybe briefly mention your podcast if people want to check it out. Yeah. Oh, they have to speak Spanish, I think. Yes. Yeah, okay. my, my podcast is in Spanish. It's called Sanando Entre Amigas, it's, it's, which is healing with friends. And I do it with my best friend from childhood. Um, she's from Nicaragua as well. And she's a psychologist. And as I am very interested in people and human um, connection and like human behavior, we're always talking about ways and how we personally heal through different ways in life. So it's a lot about that. We touch different um, subjects. Mm. We also have guests sometimes and it's called Sanando Entre Amigas. I guess you can link it if you speak Spanish. And my website is veronapenalba.com. Awesome. Yes. And everybody listening knows whatever player you're listening to this in, I'll have the website and social media stuff there. Thank you. This was amazing. Ah. I'm very happy to know you. This is such a cool space. So uh, very fortunate. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for listening. And I wish I could take a photo of you too, because your eyes <laughs> sprinkle. Like when I'm talking, I'm like, I hope everyone eyes sparkle when I'm speaking because you have such a beautiful receiving energy. Oh, You're thank like you. receiving in such a nice way. So I'm very grateful for you. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Cheers. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 246 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks to the magic of editing, I am still here outside in the rain. It's actually quite beautiful, and it's cooled off a lot here in Greenport. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much to Verona. This was a wonderful conversation. Like I mentioned in the intro, go check out her stuff online, uh, either by being directed to what she told you to go check out or by just looking at the player for this episode and checking out the notes. I will have um, one that's being recorded shortly after this, actually like now, uh, and then a few more this week, I hope. So a lot of stuff is booking up and I've got some exciting things on the horizon that I will hopefully be able to clue all of you in on. But for now, I'm going to sign off and say goodbye from Greenport. As always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon, Voyagers.